0: What a great message. What an what a accurate message. Is it not right? People definitely need the Lord. So uh, so are you ready for fall? You ready for fall? Yes. Fall to be here? And are uh, uh, you ready for basketball season to be here? Anybody ready for basketball season? Or, let me ask you this. What about Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas to be here? So, uh, you know, to be ready, to be ready is more than just an attitude. To be really ready for anything... You have to take steps of preparation. For example, if you're going to be ready for fall, it's more than just having that attitude. You've got to get, be ready to, to take the steps to get the clothes out, the fall clothes. I don't know, you know, do you put the summer clothes up, you get the fall clothes out. If you have a small enough space, maybe you gotta, you got tubs, and you got to put the tubs up and move them around, but you gotta, you got to change out the clothing for the season with fall. You've also, uh, for example, with basketball season, you've got to endure and get past football season. Amen. Or for some of our ECU fans, you just celebrate football season. I saw that. I, I saw that gleam in Ron's eye over there, and, and several others, no doubt. Are you ready for Christmas? If you Get ready for Christmas. What steps of preparation are necessary if we're going to be ready? For Christmas, there's family plans, there's travel plans, there's gift-buying plans you have to make. And then, if you're like I am, you have to, to butter up the people that will be buying you gifts to give them hints about the things that you want, so they'll buy you the right gift. Amen? Or is it just me that does that? Just me, okay. you got to make worship plans for Christmas. What are we doing to, to not just have the, the family and the festivities, but what about the worship of our Lord Jesus at Christmas? And let me encourage you, even now, a lot of people do this, but if you've not planned to or not been before, plan even now the Christmas Eve service at Ridgecrest is phenomenal, is it not? It's a great, great service. So so plan now so that you can take steps so that when it gets here, you'll be ready. Let me ask this question. Are you ready for the future? Are you ready for... The future. What I mean by that is what we started talking about last week, and that is what the Bible says there will be a new heavens and a new earth in the future. So, are you ready? Have you taken steps to prepare for that future? 2 Peter chapter 3 is what we're looking at for the next couple of weeks. We've been there the last couple of weeks. 2 Peter chapter 3 reminds us as believers to take steps of preparation so that we might be ready when the future gets here. If for example you're trying to get you're you're not thinking about the fall and so you keep all of your summer clothes out and, and there comes a day in the fall, September, early October, it's been being 70, 80, 90 degrees and everything's comfortable, but you wake up one morning and all of a sudden it, it's forty degrees outside and you've made no preparations with your clothing. You walk outside with your shorts and your t shirt on and, and you're in for a rude awakening, right? Well, just imagine how much more of a rude awakening people will be in for when they're not prepared for what the future brings and suddenly it's upon them or upon us and we're not ready. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 begins this section and I love verse 1 of 2 Peter 3. I want to read it for you. Uh, it says, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you. This is a second time. Now, i sent you one letter. And now here's my second letter. And he, said, he calls them beloved. And then he says this. In both of these letters, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So here's what he's saying. I'm trying to stir you up. I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to remind you of your sincerity and make sure that you're aware of and are making preparations for the fact that the future is coming when everything's going to pass away and everything will be made new. He's saying to them, get ready. I'm telling you now for the second time. That's how we know that the early church was a Baptist church. They didn't get it the first time. You have to remind them a second time. Amen? Stand with me, if you will. We're going to read now a couple of verses a little bit later on in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Because again, with the theme of the chapter giving us words of wisdom and preparation for the future, it says this, But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And notice verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, may we be reminded and may we be reminded again. And may the reminders serve always to stir us up, not to get angry at the preacher for bringing it up, but stir us up in our soul, recognizing that there is a future that the Bible says is coming. And you call us, Lord, to take that information and make adequate preparation so that we and all those around us, our loved ones, might be ready when it comes unexpectedly, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So as we're looking at, again, 2 Peter chapter 3, the key verse in this chapter is the last verse, verse number 18. I don't have it on a slide because what I want to do is I want to say part of it and I want you to repeat it after me. And we'll work our way through this verse, 2 Peter 3.18. Please repeat after me. Grow in the, and in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Now, to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. That's what it says right there. It says, Amen. I agree. So be it. So as we're looking at this Uh, Today, and we're looking at steps of preparation while we are waiting. Notice again in verse 14. Since you're waiting, since you're preparing yourself, since you're taking these steps, here's some things that I want you to be mindful of and in the process of doing while we're waiting for the future to come. Let me give you three steps that are mentioned right here in these couple of verses and as an encouragement to each of us. You'll find these in your listening guide. And, uh, and I'd encourage you to jot down those blanks and go back and do some additional study uh, as you would like to do that. But, but the first step we can take is this. Diligently remember what you're waiting for. Remember what it is that you're waiting for. Because what I've discovered in my life about anything whatsoever, whether it be basketball season, whether it be a holiday, whether it be the birth of a child, whether it be a trip that I'm taking, anything at all, when I'm reminded and remember what I'm waiting for, it motivates me to be expectant and to take steps of preparation. Because you can see it coming, and you see it getting closer, so it motivates me, it motivates us, to take steps of preparation. So we should be constantly reminded diligently of what it is that we're waiting for. Remember, for example, that the current heavens and the current earth are going to pass away. This worship center, isn't it a beautiful worship center? That's pitiful. Isn't this a beautiful worship center? God's blessed us and you've been faithful to give and, and we're thankful for the lights and the pain, and the carpet and the sound system and the air conditioning, amen? amen? And before long, it'll be the heat that we're thankful for. All Just beautiful. One day, it's all going to burn. Isn't that a shame? It's all going to burn. Don't you have a beautiful house? Say amen if you have a beautiful house. Aren't you thankful for the car you drive, amen? Say amen to that. Aren't you thankful for the beautiful scenery, the mountains, and, and, you know, the leaves are about to turn colors? Anybody here like to ride up and look at the colors of the leaves when they change? I love to do that uh, when I can. All those things are so beautiful and so nice, it's all going to burn one day. Verse 10 of 2 Peter 3 says, But the day of the Lord, that's, that's the coming day, the future, will come like a thief. We talked about that last week. And then the heavens will pass away With a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All this is coming in the future. Concerning the heavenly bodies and the heavens and the earth. Everything that we know, that we see, the visible universe. It says this about it. It says it will pass away, burn up, dissolve and be exposed. So here's what... I would say the scripture teaches about the physical universe that we have around us, including the earth on which we live. It is, at best, only temporary. That's what the Bible says. So we need to remember, diligently remember what we're waiting for. Remember the current version is going to pass away, but then also remember a new heaven and a new earth is going to come. It's it's not just that the end comes and it all goes away forever. No, there's a new heaven and a new earth that is going to come. Verse 13 talks about that where it says, but according to His promise. Now, let me pause right there and just make a comment here. I've I've pointed this out over the years and, and I think even recently a time or two. God always tells us in advance what's going to happen. And that is a blessing from God. Even when it's convicting, even when it's painful, when He tells us what's going to happen in the future, it is a blessing because we know what to do in advance. The judgment is coming. What should we do? Get right with God by trusting Jesus as our Savior. The heavens and the earth are going to pass away. What should we do? Make sure that we're prepared for the new heavens and the new earth that's coming. So we're thankful for that. Verse 13, according to His promise, He's telling us in advance. We're waiting. For new heavens and a new earth, and notice this, in which righteousness dwells. Now, is there anything about this earth and the people that are on it? Is is righteousness present in this world we live in? Of course it is. There's righteousness everywhere. Everywhere you see a touch of God, there's the righteousness of God. In every life, mine, yours, and others, where, where salvation has come, there's a presence of righteousness there. But you know, there's a lot of unrighteousness in this world. And when all of that is dissolved and goes away, and the new heavens and the new earth comes, there will only be the presence of righteousness. And that will be an amazing thing. Now, scholars debate. I've, I've read different things over the years. I went back and read some things this week about what is this? The, the old heavens and the old earth, it says, will be dissolved and pass away. Then a new heavens and a new earth. Now, Now, here's the debate. Is it on one hand there are scholars that say that the passing away of the new heavens of the old heavens and the coming of the new will be what they call annihilation and recreation in other words everything here will cease to exist completely and then a brand new one will be created and that may be what's going to happen Others say that it won't be that, but it will be transformation and reorientation. In other words, that the heavenly bodies will dissolve. They'll go back to their basic elements. The earth that we live on will go back to its basic elements and then be reoriented by God. There'll be a new earth made out of the old earth because of the creative work of God. Which way is it? I don't know. I don't care because it's up to God. He's going to take care of it. But either way, here's the point, either way it's all going to burn. What we have now, it's all going to burn. The new heavens and the new earth are talked about in different places in the scripture. One of my, my favorite places to look about the new heavens and the new earth is in the book of Revelation. And In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, it says this, and, and as Wendy mentioned a minute ago, there are several amen places in here, and you won't hurt my feelings if you, if you throw it out there. And then I saw, Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth And God Himself will be with them as their God. That's good news, isn't it? I'm waiting on that new heaven and new earth to come. But that's not all. Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many of you have ever cried some tears of pain, of sorrow, of grief, of heartache? He's going to wipe those away. Look at this. And death will be no more. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, amen? No more crying, amen? No more pain. Notice this. For the former things have passed away. In addition to the earth and the heavenly bodies passing away, all these things that we experience because of sin, they're going to pass away. (laughs) Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. All things are new. Then I love this part. And he also said, Write this down. This this is good stuff. Write it down so so other people can know, so you can pass it around. There's there's a new day coming, there's a new heaven coming, there's a new earth coming. Before it gets here, what's here now, that's got to go away because of sin, but what's coming is going to be good. So here's the point diligently remember what it is that we're waiting for, it's worth the wait. It's worth the investment, and it's worth everything that we have to give. So since we know it, we can make preparations for it. That would impact our lives every day. Secondly, since you're waiting, diligently pursue purity. Diligently pursue purity. I want you to notice there in verse 14. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish take just a second and talk about those words spot or blemish. A spot or a blemish could be small, it could be large. It could be seen as in a a big spot uh, of spaghetti sauce spilled on your shirt. Anybody ever done that before? That's a spot or a blemish, isn't it? It could be so noticeable you can see it coming a hundred yards away, or it could be so unnoticeable that you need a microscope to look at it because it's so small. Either way, a spot or a blemish. And notice it's saying here, when he comes, may he not find us with spots or blemishes, but may he find us with purity. And notice there's an urgency here. He says, be diligent. What does it mean to be diligent? I, I looked up on a thesaurus. What does diligent mean? It means hardworking, zealous, meticulous. And you fill in the blank with all these different words. And for example, be diligent hard-working in order to be found pure. Be zealous to be found pure. Be meticulous to be found pure. Be conscientious that you might be found pure. Be thorough that you might be found pure. Be attentive that you might be found pure. Make it a high priority of your life that you're living in such a way because of what's coming in the future that when it gets here, you will be found pure, not thinking that one day you'll start becoming pure. Be found that way now. The the, the intent here, the the, the context here, is is that we might treat purity like you would a final exam where you have to make an A in order to graduate. That's some pressure, isn't it? And that's that's, that's being attentive, right? That's making it a priority. You've got to make an A to graduate. Have that kind of diligence towards living a pure life. Treat purity like you would treat a new car when you were a teenager. You remember your first car? Man, I got my first car. It was a 1972 lemon-colored Nova with a black vinyl top and armor. I armor all the bench seats on that thing so that when I turned left, I went out the right side of the door. I was attentive to that car. Be so attentive to purity that is, that's how you would be as attentive to purity as you would a newborn baby that needs your constant care. Treat it as a matter of life and death because purity is a matter of life and death. Let me, let me talk about a couple of ways that we should diligently pursue purity. One is inwardly. We need to make sure that we're pure inwardly. It, 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 makes, it, it makes no sense at all to try to live a pure life outwardly if there's not a purity on, the in, on our inward part. Inwardly, we become pure when we confess our sins to God and trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what brings about the inward purity that only God can give us and we can never get to on our own. There's inward purity, but then there's outward purity. We need to be pure outwardly, our actions and our behavior. Inward purity could be called in our words from last week, godliness. Outward purity could be called from the word from last week, holiness. We need to be godly, we need to be holy inwardly and outwardly, but also we need purity Upwardly, where we turn our attention to God and we say to God, God, it is, it is your authority, it is your word, it, it, is, it, it is your direction that we want to follow, not our own. And have you ever been guilty, like I've been guilty so many times, of trying to give God instructions? You ever try to tell God what to do? It might be, we, you know, we'll make a decision and we'll say, God, now here's what we're going to do. All we need you to do is bless this. That's not how it works. Or we question, well, you know, the Lord says that, that in my in my moral life, in my sexual life, in my in my integrity life, in my character, I need to be this way. But, you know, God doesn't really understand the day and the time in which we live, and He sure doesn't understand me. So I'm going to act this way, so, even even though it's a little outside those things, because, you know, we, we, we tend to think we know better than God sometimes. So upwardly, we need to make sure that we're pursuing purity. Listen to a couple of Bible verses that speak about this, and... In Ephesians 4.13, it says, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That phrase, mature manhood, could also be translated as perfection and could also be translated as purity. Until we all attain purity... Let's get work towards a unity of our faith and work towards knowing the Son of God more and more. And then notice this, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, our model, our, our standard is not one another. Because if you're like I am, I can always find somebody I'm better than, right? It might, it might be a, a, a five-year-old and I say, you know what, I could take him in basketball right now, right? We can always find somebody we can outrun. You know, I might not be the guy on the Olympic 100-yard dash team. I can find somebody I can outrun. And so we're real good at being comparative in that regard and comparing ourselves to others. But here our standard is Jesus. And so we need to seek to be as pure and measure up to the stature of our Savior Jesus. Be like Him. Colossians 1.28 says, Him, this is speaking of Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature. That word mature can be translated as perfect or pure. That we might present everyone mature or perfect or pure in Christ. And the picture is, as a church, one day we'll stand before God and we'll we'll be presenting members of the church to God. And the goal is that as, as your name is called as a member of Ridgecrest Baptist Church or your name is called not as part of Ridgecrest but as part of the church of Jesus Christ that when you step forward you'll be found to be pure. Not thinking about it, not planning on it, but, but you will already have reached that standard of maturity and purity in your life. So it's something we're diligently always seeking for in our lives. Now I need to point you something out here. There There are lots of areas of purity. I want to point out one today because it's so prominent. And that is that there have been lots of recent examples in the news of Christian moral failings lately. There have been some prominent pastors and church leaders prominent denominational leaders, seminary professors, and others who have fallen morally and sexually into impurity. And it has been public, it has been embarrassing, it has been shameful, and it is nothing new. It's just more proclaimed and more available to us now. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of those who deal with sexual immorality and sexual impurity. Most, by far, will never make the news if it's a pastor or a public figure, sure, they'll be on the news. But if it's a, a, a church member, a Christian, a Sunday school member, somebody who works hard at their job and, 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 and who, who provides for their family, but they're wrestling with and stumbling with an area of sexual impurity, that, that won't make the news. I think that's by far there are more, and, and study after study shows, that, that, that many uh, who are, are Christians wrestle with this issue of impurity. I've met with people of all ages over the years who are wrestling with issues of impurity. I'm in the process now of meeting with a minister who has fallen and wrecked his ministry and may well be in the process of wrecking his family because of decisions he's made concerning sexual immorality. So it's all around us. Pastor Joe McKeever says this, I pray that every young person coming behind us will learn that there is no secret sin, that Satan is a liar when he promises that no one will be affected, and this is just between two people. That's good advice. Pastor Kevin Harney says this, After 40 years of following Jesus and leading the local church, I have a growing number of insights I hope are helpful in regards to moral failure among Christians. Can I share those with you? Because we can all learn from them. First of all, he says, let's not look the other way and ignore the problem. That's great advice. Yeah. So often we're guilty of turning the other cheek. We're, we're guilty of not addressing these things in church. And, and, and you know, I've heard people say before, we shouldn't talk about that stuff in church. Listen, church is exactly where we ought to talk about it. Yeah. You can run me out after the service. <laughs> this is exactly where we ought to be talking about it. He says... Let's not function as judge, jury, and executioner in times of moral failure. That's not our place. Let's not take delight in the moral failures of Christians. Some people either publicly or even privately take a sense of of delight when, when others stumble and others fall. He says, let's not say I saw that coming when we said nothing when it was happening. That stings, doesn't it? But it's true. He says, let's not gossip and talk about Christians struggling with sin. You've heard the phrase before, you know, Christians don't gossip. Amen. Christians don't gossip. They share. They share. You know, I, I want to, I and sometimes we, we, we disguise it as a prayer request. Sister, I want to ask you, you need to pray about Billy Bob over here. Did you hear what he's got going on? Oh, you hadn't heard? Well, let me fill you in so you'll know how to pray. That's not gossip. Instead, Pastor Kevin Harney says we should do these things. Let's embrace the reality that men and women are different. We live in a world, I don't know why, people want to say in different places that we're all the same when we're we're not, we're not, we're different. Men are different than women. God made us that way. And I don't know why, I celebrate that. I am so thankful that women are not like men. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Guys, come on, help me out here. (laughs) Let's set boundaries that honor Jesus and protect people. Be careful where you go. Be careful who you're with. Be careful what you do. You know, if if you were to take the stand on a business trip and, and everybody's going down to the bar to have a few drinks and have a good time... And, you know, we, we all know the rumors or the, the reputation of what happens on business trips. And, and if you were to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that tonight. Uh, I'm going to be up in my room. You know, I've had people tell me this before, that, that you get ridiculed when you're in that situation. Are you willing to get ridiculed to draw a boundary? Or, 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 you know, other, other things that, you know, Billy Graham was ridiculed over the years when he set very straight, strict standards when he was traveling. He, for example, he always had another man with him in all circumstances. And when he got on an elevator, he made sure somebody else walked on the elevator first so that he would not be on the elevator with a woman by himself. He made sure somebody went into his hotel room first uh, to make sure there was not, for whatever reason, uh, a woman in there, no, no accusation could ever be made. And people would laugh and make fun of oh, Billy Graham, he's so silly. You know what he did? He drew boundaries. Forget your politics. Mike Pence, our vice president, drew a lot of criticism for, for comments he made about not meeting with women without his wife being present, things like that. And whether you agree or not is not the point. Here's what he's doing. He's drawing boundaries to protect himself. We need to do the same thing in our lives. Then he says this. Let's take appropriate actions to find the truth when information comes to light. Let's make sure that we're truthful. Let's make sure that we're not running around with rumors. Let's make sure that we're not spreading gossip. But if something comes out, let's make sure that we know what the truth of the matter is. And listen to this one. He said, let's confess quickly and blow the whistle on ourselves." He goes on to write this. If I'm living in sexual sin, hurting others, and crossing lines, the best thing to do is confess to God and appropriate church leaders. It's always better to blow the whistle on myself than wait until someone else speaks up. Strong stuff. Let's create accountability relationships. Let's show grace and forgiveness when people are truly repentant. I like that one. Nobody's perfect. And when somebody stumbles and falls and are truly repentant, it doesn't mean that there's not consequences. It doesn't mean there's not accountability. But it should mean that there certainly should be grace. I've heard it said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. Let's pray for people who are caught in sin. So often we will run out and share it with somebody else when we should be getting on our knees and praying. Let's recognize that as Christians we have a target on our back for spiritual attack. The enemy is out to bring down Christians, to ruin our testimony, to ruin the gospel, to ruin the spread of the gospel. And we need to recognize we have a a target on our back. And he says, let's develop a practice of self-examination before God. Let's make sure that we are constantly examining our heart, our motives, our actions in the presence of God. He gives the Bible verse of Psalm 139, uh, uh, 23 and 24, which says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now listen, since we know what's coming in the future, since we know that's coming, and we want to take steps to be prepared, let's diligently pursue purity you know what will happen or you know what would happen if Christians I'm not talking about lost people that are not believers if the Christians would get right about purity you know what would happen a lot of the porn industry would have to shut down a lot of the bars and places they'd have to close down and I believe revival would come purity is important lastly and quickly since you're waiting diligently pursue peace Diligently pursue peace. As, as, as a top priority, pursue peace. Three ways we should pursue peace. First of all is peace with God. First and foremost, peace with God. John 16, Jesus said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In Christ we have peace. We have peace with God when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Secondly, peace with yourself. So often when I counsel with people, it's not a matter that they need to get right with God or even other people. It's just something on the inside with themselves. And I understand that. We all have things within ourselves that we need to get right. We need need to find peace. You know know what the Bible tells us in Galatians 5.22. It tells us that peace is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace with ourselves. And then thirdly, peace with one another peace with one another back in the LA riots i forget what year it was but rodney king famously asked the question when the when the microphone was shoved in his face he said can't we all just get along can't we all just get along in the church so often and so often the biggest enemy of the church is the church itself is <laughs> it's members getting divided and tore up over things from the color of the carpet to whether you wear choir robes or not to what time the service is to what Whether we sang a hymn or a praise chorus, we we get so tore up over all kinds of things within the church, but, but we should have strive for peace with each other. Romans 12, 18 tells us. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That's in the church, and that's with those outside the church. One of the biggest detriments to our witness outside the walls of the church it's how we as believers act sometimes, with outsiders. But one of the biggest detriments to us reaching the world with the gospel sometimes is how we act inside the church. I'm thankful, and I tell the staff this all the time, we at Ridgecrest, on our staff, count our blessings in so many ways compared to so many other churches. Are we a perfect church? No. I'm so thankful that we don't have the uproar that I hear about in so many other churches. I'm so thankful that our members, we love each other, don't we? Oh, that was bad. I caught caught you off guard, didn't I? We love each other, don't we? We're not perfect, but we love each other. And here's, here's the point here. I can't control how you choose to act. You can't control how I choose to act. But I can control me. And that's what the Bible verse says. As much as I can handle, as much as I can do my part, I should seek to live peaceably with all, peacefully with you, peacefully with those outside the church, and it would be amazing what God could do with a bunch of peaceable Christians, how His Spirit could move in and through us. Well, it might mean, if we're going to pursue purity and we're going to pursue peace, it might mean some things can't stay like they are. It, it might mean that there needs to be a commitment of ourselves to God that we've not made before. It could be that there needs to be a a fresh commitment of maybe a commitment we've made in the past. Maybe that time when when you became a believer years ago and you told the Lord, Lord, I belong to you and my life is in your hands. Take me, mold me, shape me, use me in any way you see fit. And, And somehow over the years you've drifted away from that. Not because you wanted to, but you wake up today for whatever reason and you find you've gotten away from those things, those commitments to purity, those commitments to living peaceably, those commitments to holiness and godliness that we talked about last week. You find yourself, you've gotten in a way. Maybe there needs to be a fresh commitment between you and the Lord. We say, Lord, I need to go back and make that commitment all over again. Why? Why should you do that? Because there's a certain future coming, and therefore we need to diligently pursue these things. Could be, there, need, there needs to be some adjustments in some actions or behavior or travel plans or any number of different things in your life. I don't know what your life's all about. I'm just throwing some things out there. But maybe in your life, there needs to be some adjustment somewhere. Maybe the way you talk, maybe who you talk to, maybe the things that you do, maybe in the way you share. I don't know what it would be. But maybe there needs to be some adjustments in how you get along with others, how you get along with yourself, how you get along with God, and in how you live your your life in a moral purity. And here's the good news. That day that's coming in the future, I don't know when it is. It might be after all of us are dead and gone. But it might be tomorrow. And it might be today. We just don't know. And so we don't know. And because we don't know, it gives us at least right now, at least right now, the opportunity to diligently pursue purity and peace. And my only and last question for you is this. What steps of purity and peace would the Lord have you make? today. There's the diligence, the urgency, today, so that you might be ready for the future, and so that God can use you between now and then, and you can live for his glory. Would you bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment? I'm not going to ask you to stand up and shout out what it is. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that, but I'm simply going to ask you right now between you and the Lord Jesus Christ, what steps, what steps, is he calling you to make in regards to purity in regards to peace that you can take today and gain victory in that area of your life our heavenly father thank you for the truth that is in your word thank you lord for the promises that you make concerning the future Long ago in the past, you made promises that have all come true. And Lord, there are still some as yet unfulfilled. But we know they're coming because you are faithful. And Lord, because of that, help me. Help me. If nobody else, help me. Lord, to live and desire to live a life of purity in my mind, in my heart, in my body, in my actions. Help me, Lord, not to be hypocritical. Help me not to be impure. Help me not to claim to be a believer and a follower of Christ publicly and to live a different way privately. And Lord, help me to be peaceable. Not to be responsible for stirring things up in a relationship with others, but to seek peace. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to You. To remind these, Your people here at Ridgecrest, in a way, as Peter said, that would stir them up to remember what's coming and therefore what we should do now thank you Lord thank you for your forgiveness and your grace to take necessary steps now that will lead us to victory then as we pray in Jesus name amen amen how do we get there only trust him only trust him that's all we can do is trust him let's stand together And let's sing the words of that hymn, that great hymn, Only Trust Him. And during this time, right where you are, just do business with God. And somehow, some way, He's speaking to your heart, some step that you would like somebody to talk with you or pray with you about. I'll be here at the front. I'll be glad to take a moment to pray with you, even as we're singing. Uh, make, Make your way down. I'll be glad to meet you here. But you do business with God right where you are. Let's sing together. Bill, would you lead us?